Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the 21st chapter of Genesis. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant, Hagar, making fun of her son, Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you to do, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of of descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food and a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. And he sent her away with their son. And she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put the body, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die. She burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying. The angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. And then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up. He became a skillful archer, and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So Hagar, this poor woman, she's taken out of her home. She's living with Abraham and Sarah and all of the the people that constituted their community. And and she's without status. She's without really much of an identity at all. And she has this son who is the boy that is the son of, of Abraham. And she and Sarah don't get along. I mean, polygamy hasn't worked ever, really. And they don't get along. And, and finally, Sarah, finally, Sarah has had it up to here with Hagar and with her son, Ishmael. And she has no sense whatsoever of of sharing or doing what might be done to make life peaceful around the house. And instead, now that her son is weaned, he's old enough, maybe two to three years old, he's he's been weaned, he's old enough to get through those very dangerous times of the early months of of life, she now sees that she wants her son to have the full inheritance 
She doesn't want to have to share with that woman and that boy. So she drives him out. There are so many parallels to this kind of experience in so many people's lives, so many lives of women. How many times have women been found alone, destitute, with a child or with children? And, and in this case, Hagar takes her boy, and they, they've run out of provisions. And she puts her boy under a little shrub just to shade him from the sun. And she can't bear to look because she knows that the sun is going to have its way with her boy. She's just waiting to die. She is utterly destitute, utterly without hope. All of the things that she imagined wouldn't happen, hasn't happened. And so she has resorted to something that, that might happen, and that is that, that they're going to die. Unless something happens to, to intervene, to, to pull them out of this predicament, both are going to die. Again, it happens all the time. I see it. As I say, I've had women in my office. I've had people in this community call because they can't make their rent, they can't do this, they can't. they've had some abusive guy who was their so-called husband. When I was in seminary, I was involved with some counseling of alcoholic, alcoholics, and one woman was weeping before me because she became an alcoholic after she had become pregnant with an abusive husband who left her desolate. And as the child grew, she found that she didn't love her little boy. And she was so devastated, devastated by her lack of maternal affection for her own child that she tried to fill that pain with alcohol. So Hagar, Desperate. And then it says God opened her eyes. God provided something that she wasn't anticipating. What she anticipated was nothing, was death, was the void, the vacuum, nothing. That was all going to come to an end. And then she saw water. And then she began to hope for a future. She took that boy, took him down to Egypt, found a wife for him. Life carried on. It's reminiscent somewhat of the story of the woman at the well. Woman who came to the well at noon when all the women of the community came at six in the morning. And again, she was alone. She was sort of an outcast. She came at that time in all likelihood because of the fact that she had had five husbands. And she was living with the man that she was with at that time. 
Maybe she was just sick and tired of all the women talking about her, or all the looks, maybe comments here and there. So one day she comes at noon, and a man comes out. He's destitute. He's thirsty. It's Jesus. She's a Samaritan. He's a rabbi. And he asks her for a drink from the well. She comes up with all kinds of excuses why the well is deep, and he's a Jew, and she's a Samaritan. They're not supposed to even be talking with one another, so on and so forth. And he says to her, if you knew who it was who's talking to you, you'd ask him for water, and you'd never come here again. You would never thirst again. And then he said to her, I am the Messiah. And so this woman, five husbands, you realize how easy it was to divorce back then in the first century? All they had to do was write a note just for even petty things. Write a note, I'm tired of looking at you. You keep burning the omelets in the morning. I'm done. And five times. And we don't know if these were divorces. We don't know if she was widowed that many times. But a woman who is then now living with a person, well, we can imagine. She's destitute. She's lost so many times. She's had so many husbands. And maybe she's just not willing to take the dive again. Maybe she's just scared. Jesus sees that. Jesus sees her. Jesus shares who he is, and in sharing who he is, she discovers who she, who she is and goes into the city and says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. And it says the people of the city came streaming out to see Jesus because God showed her where the water was. God showed Hagar where the water was. The Apostle Paul says, that which is seen is not hope. We hope in that which we do not see. Destitution puts, it as, puts us at a place where we can't see anything out in front of us anymore. Maybe everything up to that point is simply wishing, liking something to happen. We use the term hope, but when the Apostle Paul says hope, he's speaking of that which is presented to us when we are at the end of our resources. When we have nothing left, we're done. Then, he says, hope begins. And hope begins when our Lord acts, when the Father steps in and the Father makes provision. In those instances, when God comes in, then faith wells up like a living, like living water within us. 
then it all comes together. Then we can hope again. But it was the, the intervention of God for Hagar. God revealed himself and showed her water. Then Jesus reveals himself and shows the woman of Samaria water. And they can hope. It's hard, to, it's hard to talk that way to people when they're desperate. It sounds like religious just talk. How many times have I said when I've talked to these people, particularly women who are finding themselves near at a point of near destitution, just trust God. I mean, it might be after 45 minutes or an hour of talking. Trust God. Trust Him. It's a hard word because it seems so shallow, so meaningless, when there is nothing out in front. But the reality is we have to hope in life. We have to have something that we can always hope for. My mom was a farm girl during the Depression. Grew up on a farm in Iowa. Dad would always tease her, calling her a farmer. And she grew up in, in Jackson County, where she was the first dairy queen of Jackson County. And she won a prize at one of the county fairs for her sewing. She made a dress, and she got the blue ribbon for the dress. And mom around the kitchen, she would save aluminum foil, fold it up. She'd save wax paper. She bought milk in big five-gallon things, raw milk, and then she would churn butter for us. And she sewed the girls' dresses. If ever I had any kind of tear in my clothes, Mom fixed it. But that was easy for her. She had a sewing machine that was constantly rolling. My younger sister has it now. And and as you know from our own, for, from our experience as being human, we know what the love of mothers about. We know how it is. It's, it's, it's unquestioned. And then, then I'm in high school. And I'm, I'm cool. And... Um, you know, I'm like any, any typical high school kid. I'm involved in all kinds of stuff and playing basketball. And, and, um, and mom would, when I'd come home from school, she would regularly be sitting at the dining room table knitting. She had those bowls of yarn out. And she was knitting, knitting, knitting. And she knit a sweater for me. 
wasn't the first time. She had done a beautiful vest for me, and then she made a sweater for me. So I, I thanked her, and one day at school, I put it on and was wearing it. And some of my friends thought it looked stupid. Anderson, you're such an idiot. You know, high school kids. What a dumb sweater. Now, being cool, I was embarrassed. And so that was the one time I wore the sweater. And mom, after knitting for hours, I know nothing about knitting. I just know it takes a long time, one stitch at a time. After knitting for hours, said to me, well, Kurt, honey, I see you haven't, you haven't been wearing the sweater I made you for some time. And I re don't remember exactly what I said, but I said something to the effect that, well, I, I just, the guys don't like it, or, or I, I didn't like it, or I made some kind of a comment like that. And she said, okay, honey. So a few days later, I mean, life goes on out to, out to school and back at the end of the day. And um, came back at the end of the day. Typically, I'd come home and have a couple bowls of cornflakes before I go out and play basketball again. This time I came home, and Mom was at the dining room table. And she was undoing the sweater rolling up the yarn and undoing the sweater. I felt horrible that I, had, that I had not accepted a gift. It was a gift of love from mom. And she made me a new sweater. I have it to this day. I still wear it. We're loved, brothers and sisters. The closest thing that we will ever know to eternal love is the love of our mothers. The second closest thing in this life is the love of our fathers when they are fully engaged and loving us as a father should. But in all things, we're called to honor, respect those who've given us life and sacrificed so much on our behalf, not the least of whom is the mother who, who bore us, who nurtured us, and brought us to this place. One of the great surprises of my life is Growing up, and even my early years and mid-years of ministry, I thought, well, parents die, and we all move on. No, I, I lost mom. I had, no, I had no equipment for the reality of that loss. And about a year and a half ago, I woke up in the middle of the night 
bawling, thinking about mom. You know, sometimes I think it's good that we don't get over our grief. That we carry it with us. It becomes a reminder, not of how much we love, but how much we were loved. And that is the reminder that we all have. Moms aren't perfect. Dads aren't perfect. None of us are perfect. But somehow the love with which we've been loved points beyond itself to something, someone who is perfect. The fountainhead of love himself, the fount of living water. We bow with me in prayer. And dear Lord, we are, we are grateful. And we, we acknowledge, O oh Lord, how very painfully difficult it is for so many women, whether they've had children or lost children or weren't able to bear children for whatever reason. Lord, the, the inflection point of all of life is the bearing of children. And somehow, O oh Lord, you carry us through. And when we are at our best, we recognize the reality of your love being poured out into all of us through those who gave us life. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.